Welcome to the very first episode of the Football New South Wales Community Podcast, covering the great people, clubs and initiatives from around our football family. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. You might be familiar with my voice as a commentator of NPL New South Wales men's and women's, or perhaps on the A-Leagues with Network 10 and Paramount+. Plus. It's great to be a part of this initiative And I'm really excited to be speaking to some of the administrators, coaches, referees and volunteers from across the Football New South Wales community, sharing their stories, achievements and highlights and talking about some of the great work being done at local level. Very briefly on me, I have worked in football administration, but also at a local level with a district league. I won't say what sport. But uh, very familiar with the structure of both a state federation, the elite competitions, but also what it takes to provide football at a participation level. And there are so many great stories and achievements out there that we can celebrate as part of this podcast. So let's get to my co-host and first guest for our first episode of the Football New South Wales Community Podcast. Salve Kamishiano is the general manager of the MacArthur Association. Salve, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Teo. It's great to be here with you, mate. So, how long have you been in the role? And tell us about your connection to the MacArthur Association before we get into what it is that you do. Yeah, no worries. I got to MacArthur in, at the end of 2018. So, uh, 2019 was my first official season out there and still there, despite the, uh, the challenges of 2020 and so on. Prior to that, I was uh, with Football Australia and I've been in football since 2006. So it's, um, yeah, it's been a good little journey. Loving life at MacArthur though, fantastic community out there. And I guess you've, you've seen through that lens of a state federation, of the national federation, and now your own district association. But it's exciting because when you have that connection to the entry point of the game, it makes such a tangible difference in terms of participation and literally the number of people playing and the ability to grow the game at its entry point and also at its participation level. Tell us about some of your numbers this season. How many footballers does the MacArthur Association actually provide the game for at the moment? Yeah, it's a, it's a record year for MacArthur. We're, we're really pleased to announce that. Over 11,000 players on the on the pitch through our 23-member clubs. It's a fantastic outcome. Uh, we've got some super clubs out there, uh, huge numbers. Uh, Camden Tigers, Norellan Rangers, Oran Park Rovers, all over 1,000 registered participants. Uh, Eskol Park Football Club, um, one of the fastest growing ones, nearly at the 1,000 the mark, but won our uh, female club of the year last year, and, and I think it's 13% growth uh, within their female numbers this year, so doing really well there. You know, our big clubs continue to, to grow. Um, our little clubs are, are coming along as well. Um, growth all across the region, which is superb. But I think what they don't tell you, Tio, is um, how many people are actually turning away still. That, that's the surprise. You know, that's the alarming thing. Uh, we're almost at capacity with the fields we've got out there in MacArthur, to be honest, just particularly in Camden. Our, our, our existing um, network can't take any more players. And I think it's about, you know, I'd say it was about three and a half to four and a half thousand 
players that don't have a home this year playing football simply because we can't cater for them on the fields. Uh, and that's extraordinary because uh, my numbers here say 11% year-on-year growth, up 16.5% in junior boys. Off the back of a great, successful Men's World Cup for the Socceroos, that was perhaps going to be inevitable. But how important is your role as the GM of the association, but also your clubs? You mentioned the size of some of your clubs. It must be compelling when a club with a 1,000 participants goes to their local council and says, hey, we're turning people away out our fields are full, our volunteers work from 6am Saturday to 8pm Sunday all through the weekend and it's non-stop activity and we still can't provide fields for people to play. So how important is both your role but also the role of the clubs in trying to you know, move the metre on opening up the access to more fields and, and more facilities and more opportunity? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's really important. Clearly, we've got uh, as a community, we have a really strong relationship with our local council. Many of our patrons at Macarthur are are either um, uh, ministers or uh, people within council, which is um, which is really important for us for for the adv- advocacy role for funding that's required. To be fair, I think we get a we get a pretty good um, run. You know, we've had a, a really good run lately, uh, particularly on the back of the, the big wet last year. We've got um, pretty good standards of facilities over in MacArthur across across all our facilities. It's just about having more. I think that's the that's the key at the moment. So we're we're lucky, you know. Flood lighting isn't an issue like it is in some other areas. Irrigation, drainage, most facilities are pretty good. But, but that's football's potential, isn't it? It's it's showing that football is a great vehicle and a great outlet to bring communities together, to give people recreational outlet, health, fitness, but also that sense of belonging and community. If When you say the answer is we need more, I guess it's a great way to provide more, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. yeah. You, you clearly, you know, people are voting with, uh, with their feet, really. They, they want to play football. If you get in early enough, you, you get that opportunity. If you don't, you, you may miss out just simply because we, we can't fit you in. Um, and that's, we've got to make sure we keep that data and present that data as a, as a case, you know, at state, federal and, and local level. Well, we mentioned the effect of a Socceroos great performance at a World Cup with games being played in the middle of the night. The effect of the Women's World Cup and my understanding, the uh, women and girls for MacArthur 2022 to 2027 strategy document, which is going to look to harness that growth. Tell us about that project. Obviously, you know, it's important to have a long term view, but talk us through some of the key pillars that you'll be looking to achieve with the MacArthur Association to harness what we all anticipate is going to be a massive uptake in the game for not just, you know, girls, but also adult women and also no doubt boys players who will watch a home World Cup and say, hey, I want to play. Yeah, no problem. So I guess one of my first projects when I got to MacArthur was to establish a strategic plan for the region in consultation with our clubs. Uh, and, you know, it was really a plan for the, for the MacArthur region. Uh, one of the things that was identified through that plan was um, the opportunity to grow the game through engaging with women and girls and celebrating what we had. And that's really what this plan is. It's about um, capitalising on the opportunities we have. But yeah, so I guess for us, it's about really uh, leveraging the opportunity to grow participation in the women and girls space. And that's what that is all about. I have to admit, when, when I got there, um, uh, there was zero numbers of mini Roos girls teams in MacArthur, which astounded me, coming from the national body and, and even from a state body prior. The focus was all about growing the girls game through mini Roos and making sure there was girls only opportunities at every intersection. And to get to MacArthur in 2018 and, and, you know, I was gobsmacked at the fact that that hadn't been um, something that was in, uh, instituted down there. So, 
Year one, we, we introduced it. We introduced it with zero uh, team nomination fees. I think by 2020, we were up at f- 50 girls only teams up to, you know, five to 11s, which was uh, amazing. It showed that there was clearly a need for it. Today, we're at 81, you know, 81 girls only teams, five to, uh, five to 12s now. Um, uh, you know, like I said, it's, it, it's been the centerpiece of our growth, uh, uh, since 2019 and it's having a, um, a profound effect in retention of girls, which is the most important. Now, the district associations, no doubt, will be working hand-in-hand with Football New South Wales, who themselves released the 2023 to 2026 strategy, uh, Growing Female Football. Uh, But what is the importance of having a localised strategy? Your hands-on in your region, you've spoken about the clubs and the growth they're enjoying and the initiatives that you've taken since taking the job. But, I mean, is it exciting to know that uh, the numbers we're talking about today may seem uh, minuscule compared to where the game might be in three or four years after the effect of the World Cup continues to burn along? Yeah, look, well, we're really excited for what this event uh, can have, the effect it can have on, on women and girls football and football in general. I think we saw firsthand the impact of the Asian Cup win on our own home soil in 2015. I think for once, for the game, everything aligned so perfectly. Um, and I mean, you know, they, they won that what, just after the Australia Day weekend when our registrations were about to go live and the uplift in registrations, uh, on the back of that was, it was, it was immense. And um, we've been able to sustain those numbers since then. I think, um, yeah, this is, this is going to go gangbusters. I think the, the real opportunity is the women and girls game. So, but having a localized strategy, it's about just recognizing, uh, what your priorities are locally, knowing your region, uh, where, where you can improve and, and, you know, where you go well and where you don't. And, and, you know, for us, it's about focusing on our weaknesses first and making sure we can get things right, like the Mini Roos girls, where we clearly saw, well, we're going to grow the girls game. There's your low hanging fruit right there. And that, that has been a centerpiece to what we've done. It is, and probably make this the uh, the last one specific to the association, but is the dream to have a, a mega facility like a, almost the equivalent of a Valentine Sports Park in the MacArthur region? Is it each individual club getting its own additional pitches enhanced? Is it about opening up new plots of land purely for the building of new facilities from scratch or even the formation of new clubs from scratch? I mean, or are all these things on the table as potential options to provide the game where do you see the region going yeah it's it's a little bit of every one of those buckets that you touched on we, we are working on a home of football uh, we think that's probably 10 years away to be to be honest so it's not the the immediate priority for our region it, it's about new development sites um, obviously we're a growing region out there um, we're expecting a huge uh, increase or up it's literally making sure the town planners plan for football pitches when they build residential developments yeah, isn't it? it's yeah, i think you know the expanding expanding uh, urban belt as it goes out it you need to make sure that it's not just rolling residential that you actually have recreation areas and inevitably those recreation areas are football pitches yeah you know? spot yeah. on and that's exactly where we're at we're, we're speaking to developers through council right now um, we've got a few new pitches coming on board next year which is important for us and hopefully that means 
new clubs as well. That's what we're working towards. That's probably the low-hanging fruit for our region right now. The other one is just celebrating what we have and, and the leadership within MacArthur. I think we're lucky enough to have someone like Hayley Todd on our board, provide that leadership at a board level. Uh, also that the Mayor of Camden, the newly elected Mayor of Camden, Ashley Cagney, is also a board member at MFA and someone who uh, lives live, uh, lives and breathes football and has for a long time. So just um, you know, shining a light on those people and making sure you know they, they are professing everything that is the girls' game. Well, Salve, you'll be staying with me to talk to our other guests coming up on the Football New South Wales Community Podcast. But thank you for the rundown of what is an exciting time at what I would say is perhaps the hotbed of growing the game in the country. So uh, great to get your insights and look forward to you uh, staying with me for our upcoming guests. We'll be back with South Camuciano, the GM of the MacArthur Association, and our Staff Insights segment right after this quick message. Day after day, Kappa rewrites the concept of sportswear. Kappa means teamwork, past, present, and future. Kappa never stops, because winning starts within. Two people, one brand. Kappa. Welcome back to the Football New South Wales Community Podcast. We've got another guest joining us here, Teo Pelizzeri and Salve Camusciano, the GM of MacArthur Association. We now welcome into the pod James Spanadakis, the Legacy Facilities and Grants Officer here at Football New South Wales. James, welcome. Hey, Teo. Thanks for having me. How long have you been in the role at Football New South Wales? Is this the, the only role you've had at Football New South Wales or is, have you had other uh, hats that you've worn? And tell us about how long you've been with the uh, Federation. I'm in my first year of my contract here with Football New South Wales, uh, coming in from a role within the sport education sector. I've taken up the role to help guide clubs, councils and associations towards funding and improving their facilities ahead of the Women's World Cup. Well, it is a a vital uh, area of importance for football. Now, on the Legacy Fund, uh, I'd love some of your insights into round one and round two. Now, I ask those questions not being totally up to speed on what that entails, so please let both me and our audience know what exactly I'm referring to here. Uh, So the New South Wales Football Legacy Fund is an initiative formed by the New South Wales Government, Football New South Wales and Northern New South Wales Football. As nearly all of us are aware, the, uh, the Women's World Cup is coming to our shores, so that funding is going to go a long way to helping our state with their facilities. Round one closed last year. We saw $2.5 million allocated in grants for infrastructure. 150000 per project was the maximum, with a minimum of 25000 per project. We also had 650000 towards participation grants, um, and they had up to 15000 per grant, and that's 650000 in total. And so what resources are available to clubs and associations? And, and tell us about what your role is doing to help these clubs and associations uh, look to gain access to f- uh, similar sorts of opportunity. So part of the fund is the team we constructed for the day-to-day operations. Uh, this is both Football New South Wales and Northern New South Wales working together just to ensure the state gets all that's required. Helen Armson is the Legacy Plan Manager in Football New South Wales and Annalise Rosnell is the General Manager of Legacy Program for Northern New South Wales. Uh, in supporting them, we have Trudy Simmons, Sam McGowan and Pete Nowakowski as Legacy Development Officers. And then we have Helen Mosley and Joe Wright who cover the Northern Region. Uh, we also have Kirsten Smith who is the Coordinator of the Daughters and Dads Program and then myself who is the Legacy Grants and Facilities Officer. A lot of those resources 
uh, are very important to the state. But on top of that, we do have the Office of Sport website, which has ample information. Football New South Wales and Northern New South Wales have dedicated parts of their website that you can learn. We also have a webinar coming up on June 6th for infrastructure to discuss the grant process and, and how to be successful in your application. Uh, this webinar is in place because of the expected opening of round two within the next few months and it will help guide everyone into preparing for a successful application. And where on the uh, Football New South Wales website do people find out more about the webinars? You'll have to keep an eye on social media. Okay. It looks like it'll be this week getting announced but we'll also reach out via email, all our social platforms and Northern New South Wales will be doing the same. Now, Salv, uh, three successful grants were awarded within the MacArthur Association uh, within the Legacy Fund Infrastructure Stream worth a total of $415,000. Tell us about those and how vital this kind of funding is to community football, but also building inclusive and accessible facilities. Yeah, no, we were very lucky to receive some of these funds to uh, improve our facilities out in our region. So three clubs benefited from those. For us, it was just about making sure we're keeping people on the park playing for longer. And that's what these specific projects were. It was about improving the, the quality of the fields uh, in particular um, that were heavily impacted last year with the with the wet weather in our region. So yeah, very lucky. We're also a recipient of one of the participation uh, grants, and that was, that was directly with the association and we've invested that into um, club development uh, which is uh, working really well for us at the moment where we've invested in five webinars with uh, partners club builder we've had two of those sessions so far and, and reasonably well attended and i think there's some really good uh, good uh, insights in in those seminars at the moment that are coming out and our clubs are benefiting from it now, I understand that uh, the MacArthur grants involve joint applications with council, and how important are these council relationships in order to make sure that an application is successful? Uh, look, for us, every one of our facilities in our region is, is you know, every one but one, is owned by council. So they're, they're their facilities and we just hire them for the use of, uh, of football uh, in the winter. So uh, without council support, I don't think they get funded personally. We, we build the case, but ultimately they, they need to um, back it. So we're really lucky to have really good relationships. And I think as a sport, you know, with the support of Football New South Wales, we, um, you know, we can make a case really strongly and, and it's easy for council to then um, put some funding applications together. Yeah, definitely. Look, uh, round one of legacy infrastructure, we saw over half the applications come from council and you can see that a good relationship and constant dialogue with council has helped associations across the state get projects that maybe would be five or ten years away brought closer and successful for, for them helping the region much, much quicker than they thought that would come. Now, James, we've heard a bit about who's in the team and, and what they do, but tell us a bit about the ethos of the team and the mindset of what motivates you. I mean, these are people who obviously, I mean, you've mentioned some of the names there and, and I recognise those names as ex-players or coaches and, and so forth. So uh, a bit of name recognition there. But as far as being motivated to make a difference to the game, how much does that drive what you and the members of your broader team are doing in order to get results for football? Yeah, look, all of us join the team with the same purpose, and it's, it's football and improving football for our female participants. And, um, you know, every day coming to work, that is our goal, and that's what we do. And at the end of the day, with these applications and these funding, the, the main purpose is to create a safe, inclusive, fun environment, drive up participation because we want females, young, old, any age, playing football and loving it and feeling like they're on the same level as, as the men out there in which they deserve. Well, James, good luck to yourself and also your team. Thanks for joining us on the Football New South Wales Community Podcast. Thank you for your time. And on the other side of this short break, we will be back with one of Football New South Wales' new crop of referees. Stay with us. 
Welcome back to the Football New South Wales Community Podcast. It's time to talk about refereeing, and we're joined by Rihanna Miles, Canterbury Association referee. Rihanna, thanks for jumping on and joining us. Hello, thanks for having me. So let's uh, talk about the Legacy Referee Scholarship Project. Uh, I understand that uh, you are a member of that. So tell us, what does the scholarship entail and uh, what is your journey and has been your journey to becoming a referee? Yeah, great question. I had never heard of it until suddenly I was a part of it as well. So if that's you as well and you don't know what we're talking about, I'm just a local grassroots community soccer player. I play the women's Sunday comp at some really low division just because I love it. And an email went out last year saying, we've got this scholarship for women interested in refereeing. And I had never thought about refereeing up to that point, but I knew that I was about to go back to uni. And my first thought was, well, a bit of extra cash on the weekend won't go astray. And my second thought was, I'm very used to turning up to games where we don't have linesmen and instead of constantly pointing out the problem, here's a chance to actually be part of the solution. So I popped my name down, totally forgot about it, gone on with my life and then I got an email saying, hello, you've got this scholarship and it was from a lovely person named Emma who was very welcoming and she organised for us to do the training course to learn uh, refereeing in theory and in practice and also lined up all of our first games to kind of do it for the first time supervised and that was the first time I'd ever thought about or even tried hopping on a pitch uh, with the third team. So that's your journey to beginning refereeing. Have you have you found the experience so far? What was your first game? Where, where were you? What ground? Uh, and how was the experience once you actually took up the whistle and gave it a go? So part of the scholarship was all of us um, girls and women, we drove up to Bathurst, big bus and of people that we kind of got to know for the weekend, and we did something called the Proctor Park Challenge. It's a pre-season friendly round-robin competition. People from all over New South Wales, um, mostly rep teams, put their uh, teenage teams in to play these competitions. They're 30, 45-minute games. And we just did a slew of them over the two days. I think I did something like 11 games. So those were my first games. I think it might have been an under-16s was the first time that I was centre referee, um, trying to keep up with people that are half my age but somehow fitter. And as far as that experience and what has happened since, are we talking uh, a commitment every weekend or multiple games a weekend? And how have you found sort of delving into your first winter season then as a referee? Yeah, so now that I'm at Canterbury, which is my local comp, I'm only doing one day a week. I still play with my club on Sundays and I referee on Saturdays. And they've been very good about making space for me to do that. And that's been really helpful as I'm learning this new skill. When you're back to being a beginner, you're kind of almost tempted to fall out of love with the sport again because you're used to knowing what's going on. So it's been really good to have Saturdays I'm doing new things or I'm applying new skills or I'm still just getting comfortable. And on Sundays, I jump back into playing with my team and remembering that this is something that's worth getting on top of and learning because, you know, it's a great sport. And as far as you mentioned um, yeah, how you were emailed and contacted to, and went with a group of the Legacy Referee Scholarship recipients, how many of you were there and, and what role did uh, Football New South Wales play in getting all of those referees in at the grassroots or in the, the entry level of picking up the whistle and actually taking referee on? 
Yeah, so I don't know what the numbers were. It might have been something like 40 or 50 of us doing the scholarship. There were, I think, 80 referees in total. We had people there from kind of other levels of refereeing as well, joining us, helping us out so that we weren't just all new and on our own. Uh, But New South Wales football hosted us at Valentine's and they organised our bus ride to Bathurst and they organised our accommodation and they fed us while we were there. I had some A-League supervisors really helping me with my first few games. Like they really kind of put things together so that we had a supportive environment rather than just throwing us in on our own. And it does sound like you've had a really good experience with it so far, but how has it changed you? We've heard a little bit about how it's changed your perspective on being a player. How has it changed your perspective on being a, a fan and also sort of how you interact with referees when you're a, a participant yourself? Do you feel as though it's had a, a profound effect or it's just a, a greater appreciation of what the referee does? Oh, man, I thought I knew the rules. I've played this sport my whole life. And they handed me the rule book and there was so much more to it, you know, so much nuance to things. I didn't realize how subjective refereeing can be. It's so much about people management and the pacing of the game. So I definitely appreciate my referee so much more because I used to be the person, you know, it's like, oh, ref, like, didn't you see that? But uh, when you're on the other side, yeah, they just do. I mean, I never even knew what linesmen did. I wasn't quite sure what they did other than run around with a flag. So I definitely appreciate it more. Um, But totally as a player, I think I've realized grassroots football is full of people like me that are passionate, but maybe don't understand the nuance of things. And uh, yeah, it's just been really funny to see things from both sides. Salve, um, talk to us about the MacArthur Association because referees, uh, there's always a demand. Not every match gets covered, as we just heard from Rihanna right there, you know, her own experience of being at matches which didn't have assistant referees appointed to them. Um, Give us an insight into where the MacArthur Association is at with your numbers, but also some of the challenges that you're addressing in the referee space. Yeah, sure. We're, We're lucky we've just ticked over 300 registered referees which is a pretty good effort. Uh, we've held a lot of courses this year. We've introduced a lot of new referees. Unfortunately, COVID uh, definitely had an impact on on, um, on retention of referees, but we're, we're getting slowly back to where we need to be. That The biggest challenge is um, we're drawing from our own football family. So a lot of our referees also play, also coach. And so to ensure they're available to be appointed as a referee is, is one of the greatest challenges. So we still have a lot of games. It's about... Look, on average, uh, our coverage of senior games is about 85 to 95%, uh, 90% a week, and junior games, it's about 85% uh, a week. So not too bad, but we want to make sure we can get three referees uh, on those games every week if possible, and our aim is 100% coverage, clearly. And Rihanna, um, you mentioned the third team there, and you, you mentioned also that you're currently with the Canterbury Association. What, what's that community like, uh, the referees? Because it's one thing to have your teammates at your club where you play, but how would you describe the experience and the dynamic of going into your Canterbury Association and being part of the refereeing family as well? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing I've been surprised by getting into refereeing in general is I didn't think of it as a team sport. I kind of thought it was the solo job on the field. So discovering that it's a community and you do things as your trio and we actually have weekly training as well as our games. Look, if someone's coming into refereeing thinking the first week will be easy off the bat, that's not the reality. Like it's a lot of new stuff to learn. And 
you've got to do it with people around you. So CRA in particular is full of people that have been doing this for longer than I've been alive and they're able to explain things to me. I can watch them, see how they talk to players before and during the game. Uh, you you cannot get into refereeing without a community around you. But, yeah, we talk about it as the third team because it's the third team on the field. So that's been a really great surprise and it's totally essential, yeah. Rana, I couldn't think of uh, someone to have sold the uh, the ideals of refereeing but also uh, communicated the fun of the challenge better than you have talking to us on the Football New South Wales Community Podcast today. I'm glad it's going well so far. I wish you all the best both with the whistle but also in your own playing and thank you for giving us your insights and telling us your story about how you came to be involved. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. It's It's been a wild ride getting involved, so I hope I'll stick around for a while. So a big thanks to Rihanna Miles and uh, good luck to her on her football journey, both as a referee and as a player. Salve, thank you so much for sticking with us uh, through our chats with the other two guests. It's been great to get your insights into the MacArthur Association, but also nice to hear from a referee, to hear from James as well about what's going on within the Federation. This experience for you, if any of the other GMs of other uh, associations or district competitions were given the invite to come in by Football New South Wales, what would you say to them off the back of this experience? I just enjoy it. You know, it's fantastic to celebrate what uh, is going on in, in your region and have this conversation about football we're in it because we love this game and so yeah just enjoy it and um, let's profess it and uh, if you have enjoyed listening to this podcast don't forget your feedback is very welcome through the football new south wales social media channels so make sure you share it there whether that's uh, guest ideas or suggestions for topics they are ready to hear from you big thanks to south Camusciano, the gm of macarthur association my name is teo pedlazeri and we will be back with the uh, community podcast in a month And in the meantime, make sure you check out Kickoff, which is the official Football New South Wales competitions podcast, and that will be back in the near future too. For now, though, that's it from us. Thanks for your company.